0: Hello and welcome to the Thinking LSAT podcast. This is Ben Olson in Washington, D.C. And with me is Nathan Fox in San Francisco. And this is episode nine. And it's going to be a little free form today. We're going to talk about uh, the things. We both just had classes that recently started. And we're going to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about in those classes at the beginning. Partly because those things are... Uh, pretty important to the test and uh, repeat themselves several times. So, um, Nathan, how's it going?
1: Oh, it's really good. Yeah, I'm excited about the format. Actually, I think that um, we can do this periodically. You know, as as we both teach classes that are headed toward the September 2014 LSAT, um, we can give the listeners some updates from time to time on how the class is doing. So, I'm prepared to share a little bit. I've got the data here actually on how the class did on their first um, their first practice test so we can talk about where they're at and um, then we can kind of update where they're at a few weeks from now, maybe.
0: Yeah, great. No, this will be exciting, especially since the questions kind of Tend to change as you get closer to the test, right. so it'll probably be questions that a lot of our listeners have as they are preparing as well. So yeah, I
1: think starting now, episode nine for uh, listeners. If you're if you're just listening with us live, that's great. But you know, this is going to live on forever. So if you're um, listening sometime in the future, <laughs> this will be a good place to kind of start because you'll be able to follow along with a, uh, a a real LSAT class over the span of a few months.
0: Yep. So the, the other day, Nathan, you mentioned um, a couple of things that you talk about at the beginning, your very first class, right, after the diagnostic test. Um, you do a diagnostic test your first class, is that right?
1: Yep, yep. Um, I had 34, I believe, people in the class. Um, I asked for a show of hands who to see who was taking their very first LSAT test, and um, almost all of them raised their hand, so it was... Um, More than usual, I had a class of complete LSAT virgins. Um, (laughs) They are no longer LSAT virgins, because that's always the first thing that I'm going to do in a class is do a full-length practice test. So, yeah, we took the December 2010 official LSAT, and uh, you want the numbers? I guess the listeners probably are interested, I think. Um, Sure, yeah. the, The class average was 144. The low was 127, and the high was 167. Um, weakest section was logic games. So, of the 34 people, there were, uh, we only got nine correct on the logic games, and mm-hmm. the strongest section was reading comprehension. So, we only got we got uh, 12 correct on the reading comprehension.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know
1: about you, but for me, that that looks very. That's a very typical starting class yes Does that sound about right
0: it sounds about right i um i don't have the exact numbers in front of me for the i also had a diagnostic on tuesday and um but th- this sounds very similar i i you know the range typically n- not the average but it seems like most students seem to fall within 140 and 155 There are outliers of course below that uh, and above that but um that's that's my experience in terms of, like, the vast majority of students. Yeah, I've got them all
1: sorted right here, actually. So I can, I can give you, um, like, in the class, the 25th percentile was, like, 139, and the okay. 75th percentile was, like, 152. So, yeah, the bulk of the class between 139, <clears throat> the middle of the class is between 139 and 152, with an mm-hmm. average of 144, so... Um, you know, as a group, I told them, you guys look exactly like every other LSAT class I've ever taught. I, I, I guess that's not insulting, is it? Should I stop saying that? No, I don't think it's insulting. Just... <laughs> I mean, people like to believe they're <laughs> special, <laughs> but when you've done this as much as we have, you know, you just run across, like, it's sort of like the same, <laughs> the same, same folks coming through, um, all very nice. I, I really enjoyed, um meeting everybody that was that was great that's definitely one of the highlights of what i do um meeting all of the very smart hard-working folks in my classes yeah but uh yeah 144 is really pretty average um i would imagine that by the end of the class the just, so i do you know four week chunks so in four weeks um i'll do another practice test and then i'll see how everybody's doing and I would guess that the class average will move from one forty-four to something like one fifty 150 or one fifty-one, something like that, in four weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in my classes, I, I have some people will leave and some people will come in because I I kind of do a different model where I'm I'm blending the classes all the time. But for the listeners, I'll just keep reporting on uh, the data of whatever class I have with me.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, the great thing about the profile that I the class profile, uh, they had, like I said, uh, an average of nine correct on the logic games, which is a weakness. And I'm really happy when people have a weakness in logic games, because it's by far the easiest section to improve on.
0: Yes, my in, in
1: my experience. Yeah. Um, and when, when we're strongest in reading comprehension, that's great as well, because uh, that, I think, is the hardest section to teach. Although we did talk about some really great tips, I thought, in the last show. Yeah. So, uh, I'm excited I, I, about that.
0: I've been thinking about reading comp, and I do think that... Um, there's less to say about it, but if people do put in the time that they put into often that they put into the games and that they don't put into reading comp because they're doing better at reading comp at the beginning, but if they actually did end up putting in the same amount of time, not that I'm necessarily recommending that, but if it is a you know if it becomes a weaker section, which it usually does later on, um, they can make progress there too. You know?
1: Yeah. the The test is really a test of how hard you can work isn't it i mean yeah. it, it does test like natural talent and it tests how good of a reader you are and some of that stuff is like you know you either did or did not spend your summer vacations reading books when you were a child and <laughs> um, those of us who did spend summer vacations reading books when we were children have a leg up and there's nothing i don't really think there's anything that can be done about that but no matter where you are in terms of starting ability, you can absolutely improve your score uh, significantly through just a lot of work. I mean, you have to put in the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm amazed, really, at how hard the the people who who really, like the ones who succeed on this test and the ones who go to law school and do well and become lawyers, they are just a really hardworking bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Do you find that? I mean, much more hard. They're harder working than I am. That's for
0: sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. Um, I uh, I was just while you were talking, I was thinking of this uh, one student who worked with me a, a couple years ago, and most people, you know, I think they make their most progress in somewhere between two and three months of effort, and if you go longer than that, sometimes they can kind of burnout. Not that they couldn't make more progress if they kept going. It's just sort of like you have to ask yourself if you're willing to keep pushing forward yep. indefinitely and whether you're physically able to, depending on your other demands. But she, um, she made I, you know, I don't, I don't remember the score she started with, but it was pretty typical. It was somewhere in the forties, one forties, and she finished the class and she had made some progress, um, but you know, she wanted to go to a top top tier program and I don't think the LSAT was super natural for her like it wasn't like either the stuff she had been exposed to before didn't develop the same sort of kind of thinking or whatever that um, or just wasn't very natural for her and so but she kept working on it and like literally I think it was two years. Uh, Over the course of those two years, I would occasionally receive emails that said, you know, I I have this very specific, so they're they're easy and nice to answer. And, um, you know, I have a question about these kinds of words. And from what I can gather, they mean this, but I just want to make sure I'm on the right track. Yes, you're on the right track. And I was like, wow, she's still working on it. And then, You know, she went and took it officially and gosh, I can't remember the exact score she got, but it was, it was upper one. It was like top one sixties or low one seventies and which is just astounding. Um, I mean, you you know, sometimes you don't have to spend that long getting there. Most people don't, but just the, it it wasn't a test that was very natural for her, but she just kept putting in the time and it's just like climbing a mountain anyway. So she got into Northwestern and, um, you know, it's just a, I think a totally different outcome than if she had just settled for what she uh, got after two or three months. And- yeah, I mean, but she she's the attorney that you want to hire, right?
1: I mean, if if God forbid, um, Kaplan sues us for talking shit about them in the <laughs> podcast a couple episodes <laughs> ago. I mean, if that happens, like the person that you want to hire is going to be, you want the, you want a bulldog, right? You want someone who is going to never give up and is going to just absolutely bust their ass. Mm
2: -hmm. That's Mm
1: -hmm. what, that's what you want. I mean, if people, you know, lawyers do, they do high stakes stuff, you know, the dealing with people's like entire finance and their, their family and their like personal freedom. (laughs) If you're depending what your, uh, in court for um Mm -hmm. so yeah like this is it is just not a track for people who are lazy or not a track for like oh this is you know i'm doing this because i want to make money um Mm -hmm. i would recommend that people go to business school if that's what they're getting into it for yeah but the people who really want the struggle you know the people who 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 want to work um Mm -hmm. this is an area where they can absolutely (laughs) absolutely spend all the time they want um Busting, busting their ass. I got, yeah. I, let me read you this email. Um, I got an email. I, I'm, I'm almost, I almost think that this person is like trolling me because I read it and I was like, you, you gotta be kidding, right? I, I could see someone posting this on like top law schools forums to just try to, mm-hmm. to try to uh, rile up all of the other, um, all the other folks on there. But here, here it is. I'm just going to paraphrase and I'm not going to say any names or anything, but. Uh, Hey, Nathan, after six months of studying three to five hours a day for the LSAT, I sat for the June 2014 LSAT, and I scored 171. Uh, It was a struggle when I started. I had a hard time getting even into the 150s. She she apparently read some of my books, and she ended up, after studying six months, three to five hours a day, she got a 171. But I plan to study more this fall and possibly retake in December, but I've done all the prep tests already, so now what do I do? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. There you go. And then, then you get this. This is the part that really made me laugh. She's discouraged about her soft. She's calling them. She says they're her softs, which I guess is like maybe something that people say on the internet for like um, everything other than LSAT score. Um, okay, she's worried mm-hmm. about the soft components of her application. Because she started out at some online college, then transferred to a community college, then transferred to a small state liberal arts college, and graduated in sociology, criminology, which she has read is looked down upon. I don't know that that's true. And her GPA <laughs> is a 396 Okay, so that's pretty good. (laughs) She has a 171 and a 3.96, and she thinks that because of her softs, like because she went from community college to a liberal arts college, and because she was a sociology criminology major, she thinks that she doesn't have any chances at a top 14.
0: Huh. Well, my gut reaction is, no, that's not true. I mean, maybe it's... (laughs) (laughs) She she, 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 she seems like she has a a good chance. I mean, it may not be a great school that she went to. I guess we don't know which school she went to, but um, she did well with what she was given, right? Like, I think that's a huge factor in their consideration.
1: She did awesome. And she has a 171 and a 3.96. I mean, that puts her at the 75th percentile of LSAT and GPA at like every school.
2: Yeah. Right? I mean,
1: maybe not at Yale. Yeah. But at, at every school, if you look at the top 14, I mean, 171 and 3.96, she absolutely is going to get in. And yeah. I, I don't give a shit where she went to college, I don't give a shit what her major was. She is absolutely getting into top 14 schools with those numbers.
0: Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I do think that those things are factored in, but they are soft of the soft, right? They're like just very subjective, not, I don't think they would really, and I, like you're saying, with these high of numbers, it's not going to matter.
1: Oh, my God. I, no. I, I, she, she's going to for sure make the first cut at every school, basically. Yeah. And they're gonna, yeah. Every school is going to say, well, we, we basically want to admit this person, so let's read her personal statement and let's see if we can find a reason to admit her.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, anyway, I, I'm not like trying to poke fun at her. or, or I, I, The reason why I wanted to bring this up is I just want to give people a little bit of perspective on some of the people that they're competing with. Mm-hmm. You know the reason why the LSAT is hard is because this girl is willing to do every single one of the practice tests before she sits for the actual test, and then when mm-hmm. she gets a one seventy one, she's not happy with that, and she wants to keep studying and retake it. Yeah, that's why the LSAT's hard. It's like, yeah, it's it's because this is a very competitive deal, and you've got some really smart, really hardworking people um, <clears throat> competing against you. Yeah. So I I don't know I. I don't really, I, I think if you hear too much of me saying this, it can sound discouraging. I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I just want, I want people, maybe people could take some motivation from it. You know, like if you're not studying for the LSAT right now, this girl is. Mm-hmm. So you're losing ground, you know, Like <laughs> get, get to work already.
0: Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, um... On the long end, either. I mean, in some ways, we're talking about, like, the girl I talked about is, is an extreme case because of the two years. But I can also think of, and these are just as rare, but on the flip side of that, I remember working with someone who was working at the White House, which I guess says something about you know their type of personality yeah. in itself. But they worked there, and I think they were actually an intern, so they're unpaid, but they were still working, you know, horrible hours it was like 6 30 a.m i have no idea i just remember he would get to there really early and because they just had so much to do they would typically leave around nine or so and so i would meet with him after class that ended at 10 p.m um at like ten thirty or something and he did that for three weeks and it was like he met an hour I mean, it was so late that we couldn't meet that long, you know, but he he just did, I think he did like 15 hours of tutoring in three weeks and brought his score up like seven or eight points, which was enough to get it into the 170s, and then he took the test and he was was done. Now, obviously, he started higher, but, (laughs) you know, you can crunch this if you... If that's your personality too, so there are definitely a whole range of scenarios, I guess. Yeah,
1: of course. Some some people are going to find it much easier. There, I would not say that anybody needs to study for two years or even six months. You know, um, I, it's rare that you don't find somebody though that that like they're not going to get their best score if they don't give it a couple months. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, like they could have done better. You know, that guy who did fifteen hours in three weeks or whatever. I mean. If he would have had a little bit more time, maybe just squeaking into the 170s wouldn't have been the best he could have done, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody who can do that might actually have been a candidate for like 177 or something. But anyway, um, sure, pe- people can improve. For some people it's going to be easier. Um, there are also, you know, there are people, not everybody's a super type A, A who has to work 10 hours a day in order to feel like they've done their best. Um, there are people who are much more relaxed. Um, I was certainly one when I was studying for the test.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think I studied for like a couple hours a day for like, I don't know, six weeks or something like that. And for that, for me, that was enough. It's going to be different for everybody. The um, point is, if you're not happy with your score,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: can do something about it. No, wait, how many
0: hours a day did you say you studied?
1: I think like a couple hours a day. Yeah. Uh, I... I really only needed to work on the logic games.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That was my glaring big weakness, and when, um, once I could, you know, I, so I just drilled games every day. I did like maybe two timed sections per day and reviewed, mm-hmm. um, reviewed the games untimed afterward. And mm-hmm. then it just sort of clicked, uh, kind of at the last minute it clicked. Yeah. Um, but that, that's all I personally needed to do, and for, for some people, you know. You're lucky enough. You might not have that much stuff that you need to work on.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, speaking of how many hours to, to study each day, I, I guess it, it ranges for everyone depending on you know whether they're working and so forth and how much time they actually do have. But I do tell people often to set a goal that's lower than what they maybe think they should be doing because if you can study every day for an hour, say, which is not very much, um but you know, if that's a goal that's doable, even even a half hour, which would be really not very much, but if you can set that goal and then keep it, I think it's much more likely that you're gonna develop that habit and then start consistently studying, you know every day as opposed to just sort of like putting it off, yeah, and so on, yeah, so.
1: Um, I absolutely agree with that, I definitely tell my students that all I really want from them is just a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. And and, and I really do say every day, like, you know, maybe if there's a wedding or something um, you won't be able to study that day, but otherwise (laughs) I feel like you should be able to get just something every single day. Um, And then once you do that, then yeah, maybe you end up working for an hour or maybe you can squeeze in two hours. And it, it kind of depends on how much patience you have. I like to tell people not to study when they're not feeling it. Like, I, mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. want them to be feeling happy and energetic and positive while they're taking the test because I want them to train themselves to be happy and energetic and positive while they're taking the test. Yeah. Um, you know, if, it, if it's like you're after a really long day of work and, and you're super tired and you're thinking about doing something, you know, maybe the LSAT is not the best. Thing maybe I don't know. Write a shitty draft of your personal statement or something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I think I'd rather see people study like before work or at lunch or I don't know whenever they've got the motivation to do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Or if they're a night person, then at night. But like, sure, depending who
1: you are. um, Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. but but the I get a lot. Tell me if you get this. I'm I'm sure you do. I get a lot of people that will come and tell me their plan, and it's like, well. Um, tell me if you think this is going to be enough. Um, I uh, I just graduated, so I have all summer to prepare for the LSAT. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to study for eight hours a day, Monday through Saturday, and mm-hmm. then three hours on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, what would you, what do you say to that?
0: Well, uh, I guess I, I don't want to uh, dampen their enthusiasm, but <laughs> right. uh, uh, I, I actually usually tell them what my experience has been with people who have said that in the past. Right. And that is that, um, and I'm not sure totally why this is, but the actual amount of hours that they do end up studying is more like two or three per day. Right. And it's, it, my guess is I get the sense that they ironically have all day to study, but they get up and because they have all day, it's like, well, okay, I, I get to that as soon as I eat breakfast. And then are like, well, I have all day. So I'm going to do this other thing. And then it doesn't really happen and so they end up doing a lot less, which is probably, which is actually good because they they they'd probably kill themselves if they did eight. But I do suggest to break it up. I'm not saying to, to stick with eight, but you know if you can really if you can really study all day, maybe do two hours in the morning, take a break, go work out or something, and then do another two hours or something like that. Like create segments in the day to try to do that.
1: Yeah, the I. Right, for some, I mean, some maybe some people are capable of making it a full time job and studying for eight hours a day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I would not be able to. I, I would be like clawing my eyes out at the end yeah. of about hour four <laughs> of day yeah. one. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, like these people who declare these like very extreme study plans, I feel it's it's a lot like the um, people who declare that they're going on a you know oh I'm 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 gonna lose. 50 pounds, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to be completely vegan and no sugar and no processed foods at all, and, you know, like, they go from eating McDonald's one day to, like, being ultra, ultra healthy the next day, and um, maybe that works
0: sometimes. Oh, yeah, well, it's, it's not going to last, and, and I mean... Uh, exactly. It's like... Um... There's this article out there. It's excellent. I would suggest people check it out because it's relevant to the LSAT in in a kind of it's in, in somewhat of a way. It's nine habits of successful people. Okay. And I forget it's by Heidi something. I can't remember her name. We'll we'll find that. We can find the link and post it online. But the um in it she said one of the nine things she talks about is that people who are very successful tend to actually have a lot of um doubt about their ability to accomplish things Uh not that they're pessimistic but you know if they say oh i gotta get up and i'm gonna work out for a half hour they're very skeptical of themselves actually doing that and they then take precautions to you know make sure that they'll accomplish it like they make the goal small they set their alarms you know several times maybe they tell other people hey i'm trying to do this can you remind me to go work out because um so it's almost like a healthy sense of their 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 humanness, I guess, their yeah. likelihood to fail, and thus that increases their chances of success. Whereas other people are like, "Yeah, I'm going to do this," just like what you were saying. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm never gonna eat fat again or any yeah. sugar foods or whatever, uh, or I'm gonna study eight hours a day. It's it's not recognizing um, their own weaknesses, and by not recognizing them. You actually increase your likelihood of fail,
1: failure. Yeah, that's really interesting. So nine habits of successful people. I will uh, post that in the show notes on Thinking Poker. Sorry, that's not that's another podcast I listen to. Thinking LSAT. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there. Yeah, well, I mean, I really should. Are they sponsoring this, Nathan? no um but i'm sure they're not even aware that we exist but uh (laughs) yeah i i play a little bit of amateur dorky poker and uh so the thinking poker podcast is something that i've listened to for a long time and i really love those guys and um so yeah our title is obviously an homage to uh their show so you know i have no problem giving them a plug but uh (laughs) Our website is thinkinglsat.com and I will post uh, a link to that nine habits of successful people. That sounds great. I should also mention that uh, for the people who are listening through their computer, you can also subscribe to the show via iTunes. I think it's something like half and half people are listening through iTunes and listening through their browser now. But just to remind people, they can uh, subscribe through iTunes. They can also go like on their iPhone in the podcasts app and just uh, subscribe that way.
0: So um, I have another study. I'm kind of a study junkie. I don't know why, but when people start citing studies, I get really into them. And there's this Stanford professor who (laughs) I'm sure he has other, other ambitions in life, but apparently one of his ambitions is to help people floss. And <laughs> okay. and he, um, you know, he's, he has a sort of neuroscience background, uh, psychology background, trying to figure out what's the most effective way to help people to floss. Um, and he uh, suggests, he encourages people when they start flossing to only floss two teeth and not to do any more. Wow. Um, this kind of gets back to the, you, you want to keep the task as minimal as possible so that people actually are more likely to do it. And he encourages people to, to just do it five times. Because apparently, if you do it five times, the likelihood that you'll be doing it 30 days from then is three times higher, substantially higher, than it would be if you you don't make it to that fifth time in a row, so five days in a row. So
1: his, his goal then, I mean, if he's trying to convince somebody who or help someone who has not had a habit of flossing, Mm-hmm. To get that habit of flossing, he's gonna say, "Okay, all we're gonna to do today is we're gonna floss two teeth,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and tomorrow yep. we're gonna to do two teeth, and we're gonna do that for five days in a row. And then if you can just do that, you're gonna have a better chance of having a lifelong habit of flossing all of your teeth."
0: Yeah, it's much more likely to become habitual and turn into something that, of course, you'll do much, you know, more teeth and so forth. But um, makes sense. I think it's makes sense, yeah. right? I mean, once
1: you it's the same thing as that gym door concept, right? If you can just get to the gym, just touch the front door yeah uh, that you know maybe that's that's maybe that's all you need to do today, mm-hmm. but if you do that five days in a row, you're gonna have a habit of going to the gym and touching the front door, and then mm-hmm. maybe you can start actually going inside
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you know one thing interesting about like working out specifically, I think it all kind of comes back to the l in terms of studying, but um like I find that. Sometimes I'll start working out and I'll, I'll make it a really easy goal. Like I'll say, okay, I'm only going to run for 15 minutes or whatever, or 20 minutes. And then I'll get to the end of that 20 minutes. I'll be like, oh, this is easy. I'm already doing it. I can do another 10. But I actually have to tell myself no, because if I cheat in some ways and actually do more, which would seem like a good thing, then the next time I'm about to go running, I'm going to think, well, this is actually going to take longer you know? Yeah, right. And then I'm less likely to do it in the future. But the real, really, the goal is to start developing the consistency rather than the actual length of time. Huh. Interesting.
1: I'm going to start doing one push up every day.
0: <laughs> Good. And then tell us how, how many you can do in, in, a, in, a, in a episode 19. No, but I'm only going gonna, gonna,
1: to, it's going to be a hard cap of just one because so, I don't want to ruin the habit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, episode 19, I will have done uh, 10 push-ups total, one at a time. Oh, good. It'll so be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, hey, I, your, the, the email you read earlier, there's the, she asked a good question. Well, at least it's a question that I get a lot. Uh-huh. She said, um, you know, I've taken all the prep tests. What should I do? Yeah. And I hear people who, you know, they take the test officially and for whatever reason they want to take it again. But they have taken not not necessarily all of the tests, but they've taken all of the recent ones. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'd be curious to say hear what you think about this. I, I usually tell people, hey, look, go back and take those tests again, because if you can't get a 180 on them, there's still something to learn from them. Mm. Um, your score is going to be higher than it would be. Be if you had just taken it cold or for the first time. And so you kind of have to adjust for that. But, you know, my guess is you're not going to get a 178 or higher. And so then I would say, well, why not? What are you still getting wrong? What are you still confused about, even though you've seen this material before?
1: Yeah, I don't think I've ever thought about it really that way. I, I really like that, actually. Like, because um, she did, in, I, I paraphrased her email, but she did say, um, I've tried redoing tests, and I remember too much of them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't ask her the. You know, I didn't say, "Oh, so does that mean that you just nail one eighties every single time when you redo tests?" Because mm-hmm. you're, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you if you have done the test before and you remember some of it, okay, fine. But you still might miss a couple questions, and if you do, that's absolutely pointing out an area where you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, I think I'll exact, I'll start saying exactly that, which is just well redo them until you get one eighties. Then, mm-hmm.
2: cool.
1: Yeah, thanks for that. That's helpful. Um, cool. So, uh, what are you doing? Uh, what are you doing tonight in class?
0: So there's no class tonight. Oh. Um, but class will be on Thursday, and the the way. Wait, today's Thursday. T- oh, sorry, Saturday. Oh, okay. so normally on Thursday nights there's just like it's just open Q and A, which is I think kind of the structure of your class normally, okay, right? Um, and so people can just come in and ask whatever they want. But this first this first Thursday there's not a there's not a and A session, but starting next Thursday there will be. But this Saturday is the first lesson, and in the first lesson, um, you know, I used to to try to, to tackle a lot of different things because I heard that. Um, people remember what they hear at the beginning and they remember what they hear at the end. So if you have a lot of different subjects that you cover, then um, they're more likely, like if the class is changing, then they're more likely to sort of remember all the different starts and stops. I guess that's how it was explained to me. Huh. But I found that um, it seems really helpful just to zero in on the games And we start talking about some of the more simple games. I have a packet of games that's kind of ordered from easiest to hardest, but not by type. I used to organize it by type, but um, I found that then people would kind of become dependent on not really figuring out like how to set up the diagram because they knew it was a grouping game or they yeah. knew it was an ordering game. So they're mixed, but the, we're starting with the easier ones. So it's easier to figure out kind of what the diagram should look like. And we just do a bunch of games oh. all together. And then they go home, and, and the, the, the goal is to just do a bunch more. So the class kind of starts... Easy in the sense that we're just focusing on one thing. And I do take questions from the diagnostic. Um, They have explanations for all the questions on the diagnostic, but I also just take questions so that, you know, if there's anything that's burning uh, in their mind, they can get it resolved. But at the end of the day, the main focus is games.
1: Yeah, interesting. I I have a class tonight. It's lesson one, and um, I'll be using the diagnostic test as the text for tonight's lesson. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. am going to give them written explanations, but I haven't given the written explanations to them yet. I'm going to hand them out tonight after class or at the, at the, during the class So, because I want people tonight to engage you know, fully in the discussion of the questions. So yeah, <clears throat> what we'll do tonight is I will pretty slowly walk through all four of the logic games uh, that, that were on their diagnostic test And then I will also uh, answer as many of the logical reasoning questions as I have time to get through. And the discussions in my class, that's very free-flowing. You know, people will ask me questions about everything: um, fundamentals of the LSAT, advanced concepts of the LSAT, admissions questions. You know, we'll end up talking about. Personal statements and how to get fee waivers and all sorts of applications-related issues um, yeah. as well. But um, <clears throat> so it sounds like we have fairly fairly similar. I I do th- I do think that I'll spend the bulk of the time tonight on logic games
2: mm-hmm.
1: because I agree with you that uh, that's a good place to start. Everybody needs help on the games, or almost everybody needs help on the games.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: we'll. Uh, We'll definitely spend a good chunk of time on that. I'm also going to um, give my class a quiz on one topic that I introduced on Tuesday night, the first night of class, which is confusing a sufficient condition for a necessary condition. Yeah, I was curious what you what you told them. If you feel comfortable, kind of, or you feel like you can sum that up. For our listeners, that'd be awesome. Yeah, um, you know, when I'm teaching, obviously I have a whiteboard in front of me, so I won't be able to do any like visuals of this. But um, the way that I like to teach it is, I just, I just talk about in in the context of the logical reasoning, which is half of the test. Mm -hmm. I I I feel like my number one job is to get my students to read critically. I just want them to argue. That's really what I want. You know, um, I want them to realize that there are 50 logical reasoning questions, and that means there's 50 little short arguments, and those arguments are mostly bullshit. I mean, they're, they're either totally flawed arguments, or they are incomplete arguments, for the most part. And... I, I want to teach them to read critically. So <clears throat> um, the way I introduce it is I, I say, I'm going to start off by just training you to recognize one bad argument uh, because it's the LSAT's most common argument. And you're going to see it on every single test. And they're going to beat you over the head with this until you learn it. And so what I do then is I just make up an example on the fly
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it usually ends up, it's usually really some, there's always some like violent death is usually involved in the examples that I <laughs> come up with. Um, uh, that keeps you going away. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like, uh, I think what I said in class the other night was, um, you know, I, I introduce it like, okay, so here's what the LSAT's going to say to you. The LSAT is going to say, It's a fact that anyone who gets their head chopped off will die. It's also a fact that my friend Joe is dead. Therefore, we can conclude that my friend Joe got his head chopped off. And then I ask them for their response. And what do they typically say? Well, the true prodigies, the ones who I know are going to really make it, say, bullshit. If they just, the ones who, they literally do, like, shout it out, bullshit. (laughs) And uh, the ones who do that are the ones who, like, really get it. Now, I obviously say, okay, (laughs) you're right. Tell me why. Why? And then one or two of them will shout out. Well, there's lots of other ways that you could die, Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely the answer, right? I mean, (laughs) that's just that's it's 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 very simple. But you could get run over by a bus. You could fall headfirst into an industrial sausage grinder. You could. There's a lot of ways that you could buy the farm, Mm -hmm. Um, and. So then from there, I, like, start doing the diagram of the argument on the board, and I'll come up with additional examples, and I then I'll start talking about how the sufficient condition is the thing on the left, and the necessary condition
0: is the thing on the right, and I'll teach them how to do the contrapositive.
2: hmm
0: So in your example here, the sufficient condition was if you get your head chopped off. Correct. That would be right. the thing on the left side of the arrow.
2: hmm
1: And then on the right side of the arrow, the necessary condition, then you're dead. Yeah. Yep. And then I have them do the contrapositive. And then I'll give them the same bad argument. Um, I'll give them the contrapositive of that same bad argument. So I'll say, Mm -hmm. if you get your head chopped off, then you are definitely dead. My friend Joe did not get his head chopped off. Therefore, my friend Joe is not dead. And I'll say, what do you guys think about that? And then, yeah, they'll say, well, that's bullshit. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because there's a lot of other ways that he could have died. You know, it's the exact yeah. same response. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to ask them to, I've already sent them an email asking them to think about coming up with their own examples. I, I really want, I want students to be able to tell me their, their own example of that exact same flaw.
2: mm mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm
1: because I feel like if they can do that then I know they get it. Yeah. If they can't do that then I'm not sure that they really get it cuz they they could just be like memorizing and regurgitating, you know. But I want them to I want them to be able to think about whatever baseball or something and like give me an example of that exact same thing.
0: Yeah. Now, one thing one thing that's interesting um I think about these examples is that uh And I'll be curious, uh, what sort of examples you, you end up getting back, but I feel like there are sort of intuitive examples in the sense that they conform with our real world experience. Yeah. Like the example you give, right, about the death, um, death by beheading. Is that right? Uh Yeah. Yeah, So if, if you get beheaded, then you will die. Um, there, because people have real-world experience with people dying in other ways, yeah. um, they, you know, the, you, hopefully they would recognize that and say, "Hey, this is a f- faulty argument." And so, to after I get that, get you know, the class wrapped around the the sufficient necessary idea, I like to give them uh, examples that go against their wor- real-world experience. And so, for example, um, and I hope this doesn't confuse everybody listening to this, but I'll often say to people, um, just imagine a scenario where anyone who wins the marathon will get $10,000. So basically, if you win the marathon, you're going to get $10,000. And then I tell them, unfortunately, John didn't win the marathon. So what's going to happen for John? And you know, almost even though we've just talked about this, a lot of people jump up and say, well, he's not going to get the money. He didn't win. And I say, this is actually the same sort of problem because what we were saying is it's sufficient. You know, if you, if you win the race, that's sufficient. That's going to guarantee that you get the $10,000, but it doesn't tell us anything about what happens when you don't win the race. And, they tend to grapple with that for a little while, but you know, I'd say, well, maybe maybe they give everyone who participates in the race ten thousand dollars, and a lot of people have pushback against that. They said, but you said if you won the race, yeah, which is right. somehow suggesting that if you know they don't. And I I said, well, that might be our real world experience, but literally, that's not what's being said. Yeah. and I guess I just feel like it's important because on the L side, they seem to love to <laughs> provide things yeah. that go against well, our
1: intuition. Yeah, that would dovetail really well into a must-be-true question, right? I mean, they they absolutely would trap you with answers on a must-be-true. They would say, if you win the marathon, you get $10,000. John did not win the ma- marathon. Which one of the following must be true? And it's like, answer A would be, John does not get $10,000. Yes. And yep. they're, they're looking to see if you fall into that trap.
2: Mm-hmm. Or they mm-hmm. would
1: say... If you win the marathon, you get $10,000. John got $10,000, which one of the following must be true? A, John won the marathon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's wrong for the same reason, which is he could have gotten $10,000 in a beauty pageant or any other way. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that, is a good, that is a good point. What I do is I, um, I just start giving it to him in the complete abstract. So, you know, if X, then Y. Mm-hmm. We, know that y we know that X is false. Mm-hmm. Therefore, what and yeah, then they will. You're right; they'll fall into the trap much easier because it's completely abstract. They don't know what to do with it. So then, that's when you know I have to teach them like the the fundamental because um, you do have to you 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 literally have to be able to do it in the abstract, right? You you for the logic games.
2: Yeah, you have yep. to
1: understand this principle completely in abstract terms. Mm-hmm. So then I'll put X if X then Y on the board, and then I'll. Show them the two flaws that you could make from mm-hmm. from that, and mm-hmm. then I'll show them the correct contrapositive. And then I'll tell them, you know, I teach. Do you, do you teach the contrapositive? Do you teach two steps to do the contrapositive? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: The switch and
1: negate. Switch and negate. Yep. Yeah, that's not. There's not that many things that you can memorize on the LSAT, but that's certainly <laughs> certainly one of them. Um, how to do mm-hmm. the contrapositive? Just switch the order and switch the signs. So, yeah, good stuff. That's, um, that's what we talk about on night number one.
2: Cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, great. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we fundamentally that we talk about. I don't, I don't think so. I think that's, that's actually a big enough concept um, because, I mean, if there were one thing that's the foundation of the LSAT, that's it, Right.
0: Yeah, it's the one thing that comes up over and over again in so many different ways, in logical reasoning and in the games. I mean, I guess it does come up in reading comp, but not very common. I mean, I I don't seem to remember. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that?
1: I don't think it comes up very often on the read. The the reading comprehension just doesn't have very many like logic questions. It's reading comprehension is much more about did you pay attention to what the author was saying. the reading comprehension does not present you with flawed arguments. I mean, it certainly presents you with horribly written, very boring um, passages, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't give you, like, logical flaws, and I don't think it get, tries to get you to fall into the same kinds of traps.
0: The only the only reason, I mean, I don't seem to recall it very frequently. I just, you know, there's a lot of inference questions in reading comp. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think if I have ever thought of a question in which, you know, they said, hey, what could be most strongly supported by the passage? And one of the answers was a, a contrapositive of some sort of hidden conditional in the passage. And I can't remember any, but that definitely happens a lot in logical reasoning, mm-hmm. right? You won't have a straight up if-then statement, but you'll have a hidden one it's marked by every or any or only yeah. if or something like that it, so I was trying to think if something happened like that in reading comp you I don't think so but it
1: it appears on the logical reasoning all the time and it also it appears on almost every type of logical reasoning question as well I mean mm-hmm. this is a good example of why I don't really I, or I really try to convince people not to read the question stem before they read the argument is mm-hmm. because you know they this kind of a flaw could be in the argument, and it could be a flaw question, or it could be a matching pattern question, or it could be you know, a million other types of questions. Um, mm-hmm. Or it could be, they could give you some facts, and then they could say which one of the following must be true, and the wrong answers would be examples of that flaw that you have to like be able to avoid. I just don't, yeah, again, we've beat this to death, but I just really think that reading the question stem first is a bad idea. Um, since we're so deep into the show, I can talk a little bit of shit about Blueprint now without feeling bad about it. I just, well, you know, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but here, a little anecdote. Um, I had a student who was emailing me before the June test, and um, he had read my encyclopedia, and he actually wrote a review of my encyclopedia, a very nice guy. Um, he got a 177. On the June 2014 LSAT, and he was very excited, and he's headed off to law school, and he's yeah. um, he he like got into the LSAT. He he was like enjoying the LSAT, which you know most people who score 177 do enjoy the LSAT because it's fun to succeed at things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he kind of on a lark, he was like, "Yeah, I don't know what to do next. I mean, I I really like this stuff," and I was like, "Well, you you could teach it." Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, wow, 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 I should think about that. He emails me a week later, and he is hired by Blueprint, and he's in the classroom, like, this week. Wow. They, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I sent, out a, I sent out a bunch of requests, and um, Blueprint had a teacher back out at the last minute, and were, I could make it, so I'm there, so I'm in. <laughs> I'm <Wow>. teaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, I wish him the best of luck. And, you know, I did not have very much training before I was in my first LSAT classroom. So I hope that he knocks him dead. You know, I, I hope that it's great. But it is a little bit of a funny um, thing that when you take a class from <laughs> one of the big chains, you know, you might have somebody who was like just sitting for the LSAT, like last, literally last week. Or yeah, just got his score back literally last week.
0: Yeah, well, my my experience with trying to find people to teach and so forth has been that occasionally you find someone. I mean, all these people have scored high because you know you're not looking at people who have scored a low score, and occasionally there are some people they do seem to have a very natural ability at like explaining things very clearly yeah. and intuitively right away, and so you know they they. You say, hey, can you explain this to this person? And that you're listening to them explaining, you're like, wow, that's a really good explanation. And they've never taught the LSAT before. Right. So it's definitely, um, I, you know, it definitely happens, and hopefully that's true for your, your, your friend. But the reality is, is that seems to be so rare. Like, I feel like I've come across yeah. maybe two people that I've interviewed over the past six years who sort of seem to have that natural ability right away and most people they had to develop it through you know teaching in other experiences first teaching the Elsa explicitly yeah
1: you know? yeah I think for me it was pretty intuitive it's like well I understand this stuff really well and I'm I'm pretty patient at least as far as explaining stuff I'm patient mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah I think I maybe was naturally pretty good at explaining it but when I've i um, have you know, I've dabbled around with like, oh, I should, I should um, let my best students be um, like TAs in my class. Or like I should, I should have, I should, yeah, similar to what you're saying. Like maybe I should start interviewing these people and see if I could hire one or two of them to start doing some extra teaching in my classes. Um, and it is amazing that people who can score, you know, near perfect on the test a lot of them just have no ability to <laughs> explain their thought processes. Like they can they can bubble in the right bubble mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. know that they're bubbling in the right bubble. But when you ask them to explain why B was a better answer than D, they just like completely, completely burn out.
0: Yeah, I, I don't mean to digress too much, but it just reminds me of a, an interview that was like four years ago. This this person had actually scored a 180, so it was very, you know, I was, I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, that's pretty rare. It's higher than I scored. I only scored 176, so um, I started interviewing him uh, to do some, you know, potentially do some teaching, and I asked him to explain this logical reasoning question, and he looked at it. He got it right in like a few seconds, so that was... You know, not surprising and and good. Um, and then I said, a lot of people tend to pick answer choice E. Or, you know, can you can you tell me why why it's wrong? And he he said, well, uh, if you look at the right answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> I said okay, good. <laughs> but it, it gets a little funny. I, I, I said, "Well, okay, tell me, tell me about the the right answer. Why why is this correct?" And he said, "Well, it, I mean, if you look at the the argument as a whole, this answer just speaks to me." He said that. And I said, yeah. "It speaks to you, you know." I said, "Well, that's, I'm glad it speaks yeah, to you." Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but a lot of people, the answers don't speak to them. So, I mean, I'm sort of making fun of his his choice of words, but. You know that's that's not an explanation, and it's not going to help people who are who are trying to move move up to where he's at you know yeah like how do you how do you get to that point where where the answers speak to you so. yeah 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 you
1: like the real a real master would would when he goes through the explanation of a question, the real master would be able to see now I can see why some of you might have chosen a and let's talk about the thought process. That would have gone behind picking A, but mm-hmm. the reason why mm-hmm. A is not the answer, and you know, it has nothing to do with the fact that the correct answer is down the road. Yeah, I can explain to you what you were thinking and how that's wrong, while you were picking A. Yeah, you know, and then go through all of the answers. Sometimes, um, and actually, you know, on a flaw question, I'll even do like now. B is not the answer for this question, but let me tell you what the answer, what the argument would have had to have said, mm-hmm. in order to make B the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. That that's. Um, I certainly didn't have any training on how to do that. Did you?
0: Uh no. Just yeah. um, uh, the experience of, of doing it, I guess. <laughs> hey, all you got to do is a few thousand reps, and you'll, right. you'll be
1: you'll be good at it. With one student a day. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So, I don't know. Are we about out of out of stuff to talk about for lesson one?
0: Uh, I think so. Did you talk about causation at all, or are you saving that for for a future?
1: Yeah. So, I'm I, for the listeners. I'm kind of like on, on the fly reinventing um, the syllabus for my class, and I'm excited about it actually because it it's um, well, it makes it a lot more exciting for me. Um, to be doing some different stuff instead of be doing like the exact same thing every single time. So um, I'm into this idea of presenting one bad argument every night Mm -hmm. because I I like the idea of giving like digestible little bite-sized chunks to people. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some nights I, on the very first night I would have talked about both the sufficient necessary flaw and a bunch of correlation causation or just causation flaws
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and um, I decided that that was already too... It's, I think that it's too intimidating, even just my discussion of the sufficient necessary condition. I, I had one, one of my students emailed and said that she it was a terrifying but really good first class. <laughs> she, was, she was simultaneously... She's afraid of me, which is funny because I'm very mild-mannered um, in real life, but... Um, in the classroom, I've been told that I have a bit of a... I, well, it's actually my fiance. She told me that sometimes I'm a little bit of a dick when I teach. <laughs> so the But so, so she can be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> yep, she's the one who, to, who tells the truth. Um, anyway, uh, I've decided not to do too much at once. So I think tonight I will present... Um, a, another bad argument it, it, you know I think I'll do like hey um, I told you that the LSAT's full of bad arguments here's another bad argument and then you know I'll get I'll see if I can get them to, to say I'll make up an argument and then I'll get them to say that's bullshit
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know um, so yeah but it'll be like correlation causation probably cool
0: well, we'll have to, we should talk about that next
1: time. Yeah, we can circle back um, next episode. So awesome. Um, if anybody wants to reach me, I am at nathan at foxlsat.com. Ben, you are Ben at strategyprep.com. Yep. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah, great.
0: Thanks, Nathan.